Welcome to Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan. You can follow me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. You can download our app under Ignite Church VT on your Google Play Store or in your App Store, or you can follow us online at IgniteChurchVT.com. This is going to be an incredible episode. We're talking about the counter-cultural war that we are in today in our culture all throughout America. You don't want to miss it. I'll be back with you in just a second. Well, here we are in the middle of March and gas prices are um, um, uh, getting closer to $4.50 a gallon. Food prices are up, all kinds of crazy stuff happening all over America and throughout the world. And, uh, you know, as we look at our culture right now, our culture is so torn apart and disjointed on purpose by so many people in government. You know, it's amazing how today in um, uh, the town where our church is in Williston, Vermont, they are determining whether or not they want to um, do another 30-day mask mandate for the town. And I am recording this podcast today in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, here with um, um, some of our family doing some things with um, one of our sons. And it's amazing how you go into some of these massive malls, like Tyson's Corner Mall, um, Tyson's Corners Mall in, in uh, just outside of D.C., one of my favorite malls to go to. And walking in there, some stores had some signs up. The majority had absolutely nothing. The majority of people, I would venture to say close to 95 to 97% of the people who were in that mall, in the stores, even employees, none of them had masks on. You, you look in some of these uh, large restaurants that you, you get to go into in some of these larger cities, none of them are wearing masks. And yet in the little town of Williston, Vermont, where we are, they want to make a determination on whether or not they want to put a mask mandate for the next 30 days in place. It's absurdity. All of this is virtue signaling. It's not doing anything. These people are caught on their tyrannical high horses, sitting at their little uh, six-foot, white six-foot folding tables and trying to make decisions about what you get to do with your health. It's absolutely absurdity. And I don't know where you're listening from or what's going on in your town or what's going on in your city, but if you've still got city councils or town select boards that are trying to implement these uh, COVID mandates and COVID restrictions this far into this thing as we're done with this. No, the media is not even talking about the virus anymore. Fauci's disappeared. Walensky's gone away. All You don't hear anything anymore except by these local city council people and these town select boards and these little mayors and all of these people who like to live inside of their little tyrannical world. You've got to push back and force them to repeal the stuff. Make all the noise you need to make. Do it in love. Do it in kindness. Do it in humility. Do it with the right spirit. But we cannot just sit here and continue to allow these people to do this stuff. It's gone on long enough. It's time we push back and force them to bring an end to all of these tyrannical mandates. But I got to tell you, it's it's quite um, uh, comforting, and and uh, I greatly appreciate being able to come to a place like Fredericksburg, Virginia, and see all this stuff gone. It's not even in place. No one's talking about it. You don't see signs. You don't see any of that mess because these people have moved on. But there are so many things happening in our government. Uh, and, you know, anything that happens in government happens in our lives. The things that happen in our lives end up showing up in church circles. And, you know, we've got all kinds of things happening with Congress, our national leaders. But in Luke chapter 21, the Bible says, they questioned him saying, teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things happen? or when these things are about to take place. You know, when I was younger, I would hear this scripture, and, you know, sometimes it can jar you a little bit into being scared because Jesus is speaking on the end times when things start winding down. And if you remember when COVID started, everybody was saying this is the beginning of the end and this is the end times. I mean, people were getting their American toursters and beginning to open them up and, you know, they were getting their bags packed, right? They're ready to go. They they believe uh, things are happening right now. And they begin to make comments about who they thought the Antichrist was. It's amazing how Christians go on this tangent when bad things begin to to surface in the world when the word of God says not even not even the son of God knows not even not even the son of man knows the day nor the hour 
And yet Christians can figure it out through a whole bunch of number systems in the Bible. Uh, they say they can figure it out based on events that happen worldwide, and they can pinpoint um, when Christ is coming back. It's amazing how some Christians can figure that out, but not even the Son of God knows when he, when he's coming back to receive his church. So it, it, it's um, it's been quite interesting to watch things happen, not just in the secular culture, but in um, in the church culture as well. So you've got this picture that can be frightening, that, that it's not necessarily frightening, but it can be if you're not looking at it through the right lenses. Uh, I mean, there's no way you can read this passage of scripture and not feel something. When therefore will these things happen and what will the sign be when these things are about to take place? Because it's not a pleasant picture that Jesus paints and the disciples are asking Jesus to tell them to, to tell them what the signs are. Tell us what is a dead giveaway that things are winding down and you're about to return to earth. We want to know what to look for in that timing because we want to be ready. How I many of you know, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's, what's your eschatology? What do you believe? You know, um, uh, when do you think the tribulation is going to happen? When do you think the rapture is going to happen? And my answer to all of that, I have a very simple eschatological uh, point of view. I just say, whenever he's ready to come back, I'm ready. That's, that's my answer. I'm not going to try to sit here and figure things out and, and waste my time and spend time trying to figure out um, uh, the time and, the, and you know, a, a timetable or a plan for Christ's return. If he were to come right now in the middle of this podcast, I'm ready to go. What difference does it make if I think he's coming 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 500 years from now? It, it doesn't matter what we think. What matters is that we are ready when it's time for him to come. So while you're looking at all of this stuff taking place on the earth, just know if you're walking with God, you received him as your Lord and Savior. You've gone through the, the journey of faith and you, you've learned what it means to trust God in difficult situations. You've got nothing to worry about. Be at peace. So Jesus begins this narrative that for some can be difficult to read because of what it contains. And there's nothing about this that is attractive to a Christian culture. And, and I'm not, you know, uh, uh, this podcast isn't on end times, but there are some relevant extractions I think that we need to, to be more based on, um, especially where we are in culture right now. But he says in Luke 21, 8, he says, uh, see to it that you are not misled for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, when I read this, when, when you read the scripture, I had a feeling. I, I said, I bet that word nation does not mean a national ethnicity or entity, rather. I bet it's referring to an earthly ethnicity and kingdoms of heaven and of earth. And if you do a Greek word study, uh, you'll find the word ethnos or ethnos, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> He's like, this is a dead giveaway. When ethnicity is divided against ethnicity. Well, hello, America. Hello, many nations around the world. He's saying ethnicity will rise. He didn't say political and national entities. He said it will begin with ethnicity against ethnicity. This race against that race. This people divided against that people. Then he goes and the kingdom will be against kingdom. So race will be divided against race, fighting and tension, and there will then be nations against nations, and there will be tension. Luke 21, 11, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, we see this all over the world. And then he says nation against nation, race against race, there will be parents against children, children against parents. There will be father against mother and mother against father. There will be betrayals and friends against friends. So the essence of Luke 21, and see everything in its context, understand division is at the root of this scripture. Hear me, division is at the root of what's happening in America right now and throughout the world. There's going to be a spirit that is going to be released in an atmosphere that's going to cause a man to hate his brother fighting against his brother, arguing against his brother, tension. And it's going to be in the family. It's going to be in the marriage. It's going to be between parents and children, brother to brother, nation and nation, race and race. I mean, look at everything that's taking place with the vaccine. We've got people who are unvaccinated, people who are vaccinated, and, and the culture has taught 
and has been trying to train people to be against one another. I remember when Vermont was beginning to put things, all these COVID mandates in place, they literally put on their website things that people could do to coerce their neighbor, to coerce their friends and family, to make them feel guilty, to put social pressure, I believe that's the word they used, social pressure on other people to get them to comply to all of these these ridiculous uh, COVID policies that were put in place. And that was also used in places for vaccination. It's absolutely amazing to see how okay governments are with pinning family against one another, with putting brother and sister against one another. I, I can't tell you how many people I've come across over the past two years that said, uh, you know, we, we don't get to see our grandchildren because we're not vaccinated. So our children won't let us go see our grandchildren because, hey, grandma and grandpa are choosing not to be vaccinated. So they're not coming around our family at all. That is tension between family. That is division between family. And the context of Luke 21 and the return of Jesus is division. We've never had more divorces. We've never had more rebellion in, inside, of the family, inside of the homes of families. We've never had a time where parents didn't care about where their children are. We have allowed the government to divide amongst the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Businesses are discriminating against you. Please continue to pray for my wife. She's still in the fight for, for her, her job or another role. Um, all kinds of things are beginning to take place as time winds down. But, uh, you know, you've got businesses discriminating. We've got gov- they've got governmental support in doing so, by the way. Don't just think that it's your CEO or your boss. The government fully supports them discriminating against you for being unvaccinated. Restaurants and concert venues telling you that you can't attend if you're unvaccinated. Uh, You know, it's despicable. Racial tension all over the earth. And every nation has its own political agenda where it wants to expand its territory. So we have kingdom against kingdom. Everything Jesus talked about is happening and manifesting right now in front of our eyes. But does that mean that you go bury your head in the sand and just wait for Christ's return? Or or, or do you get engaged? Do you get involved? Do you try to make a difference while you are here? I'm amazed at how many people, I, I told our church last week, I said, what is this thing about us always closing our eyes when we pray anyway? You know, it, it, do, do we think this is, it's making us more holy? Do we think it's making us more Christian? like because I don't see anything in the scripture that tells us in order to pray we've got to close our eyes and bow our heads that's a cultural thing that we've done inside the four walls of the church and it's become a lifestyle as soon as someone says pray you bow your head and close your eyes as a way I guess to honor and and you know be reverential in that moment but the word of God says to watch and pray so if I'm going to watch and pray I've got to have my eyes open not just my spiritual eyes but my physical eyes as I'm praying I've got to watch and be aware of everything that's happening around me, not go in a dark corner in my bedroom and and, and sit there for 35, 45 minutes and, and pray. Sometimes that's good, but that can't be a lifestyle. It can't be a pattern of always doing that where you, you, you're just isolating yourself from everything that's happening around you. I told the church uh, the other night, I, I, you know, I'm not one of these guys who can, you know, get on my knees and pray. I, it's just not how I'm built. I can't just go and kneel at, 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 you know, on the steps of, of the altar and pray. I can't just go in a corner in the side of my, my bedroom and sit in my chair and stay there for 45 minutes and pray in the dark and put some soft instrumental music on. I, that's not how... That's not how God created me. I'm the kind of guy where I I need music blasting. I need worship music blasting. I need to be walking and pacing and decreeing and declaring and praying because that's my personality. That's how God built me. And I encourage you, whatever works best for you to pray, go do that. Pray earnestly. Pray out of your spirit. Pray out of your heavenly prayer language. Begin to intercede on behalf of your family members and those who God's put in your sphere. And I'm not talking, you know, this, this podcast is not a, a message on the second coming of Jesus. I just want to be a, us to be aware of what's happening around us and not bow our heads and close our eyes and, and try to remove ourselves from the reality that sits right before us. So going back to this verse, so let's talk about what is a sign and how will we know when this time is coming on us? Well, he answers that pretty clearly, division. Well, I, I think we're there. I think we're divided. I think nations around the world are divided. I think kingdoms are divided. I think races are divided. I think families are divided. Brother against brother, race against race. 
Now, you ready? This is one of the most powerful, for me personally, this is one of the most powerful statements Jesus makes in the New Testament when he says in Luke chapter 21, verse 13, all of this division, all of this hell going on, all of this, this you know, wars are happening and uh, things in the earth, earthquakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. Luke chapter 21, verse 13, he says, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. He said, when you see these things happening to everyone else, it will be a sickness. But to my people, they will be the cure. Why do you think Satan used government to try and keep people out of church? What we saw over the past two years with, with local governments, with our president, with governors and city councils and mayors and all kinds of people in government telling us to not meet in services and, and, and stay away from each other, that we were not allowed to gather and worship, that was nothing but a modern day Herod. When you see this going on, you're not a part of it. You've been called to heal it. He, he is saying for you, this will be an opportunity for testimony. The word testimony means proof. In other words, God intended on his people in the kingdom to provide the rest of the world that you, that, that you and show the rest of the world proof that you do not have to live in division and a brother can live in unity with his brother and not at odds with his brother and sister with sister. So the church is supposed to be a testifying element to the world, a testifying vessel, not becoming a part of it, but be revealing the solutions to it. And the solution is not shutting up, sitting down, blending in, standing in a corner in the dark, or burying your head in the sand until Christ comes back. You're not supposed to be doing everything that these people who are intentionally causing division are telling you to do. That's not my opinion. It's written in red right here in my Bible. The Son of God said these words himself. When you see this division in the earth, it is an opportunity for you to insert yourself into a generational problem and be a voice of healing and a voice of peace. Now, oftentimes being a voice of healing and a voice of peace, people see that as just complying. People see that specifically as just being quiet, not saying very much, just kind of keeping to yourself and staying out of all of the problems that are happening in the culture. If Understand, the people who cause the problems are the ones that will always turn around and offer the solution. I'm going to say it again. The people who create the problems are always the ones who turn around and offer the solution. So if we know they're going to offer the solution, why would we just bury our head in the sand and pretend like we don't have any idea what's going on? I decree and declare to every one of you that are listening right now that God is going to raise up a people who are not ashamed to go out and say that there's a better way, there's another way. And there is a God that brings equity. There's a God that brings civility. And a God that goes straight to the poor, the hurting, and the disenfranchised. Listen, you, you hear all of this talk about equality. Do you, know, you, want, you want to know where true equality is found? It's found in the kingdom. It's found in the kingdom because God doesn't care what you look like. God doesn't care what the color of your skin is. He made you that way. God doesn't care what kind of neighborhood you live in or what neighborhood you came out of. God doesn't care how much money you have in the bank right now. Whether you are poor or rich, there is equity in the kingdom. Understand that Jesus did not go along with a culture that opposed his father's heart. He opposed it, but he did so in love. Right? You can fight for righteousness and God-given freedoms without becoming vulgar and attacking everyone that disagrees with you. You don't, you don't have to turn into a, uh, you know, a, a, left, a left-wing you know, nut job, uh, you know, they just freak out and they can't have a conversation and they hold their signs and they scream and shout and, and, you know, just yell obscenities and make all kinds of, um, uh, disgusting statements towards those that they disagree with. And there's no way to get away from this fact. But Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Number one, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor had nothing to do with money, but everything to do with the one who was without Jesus. Jesus would leave the crowd and go find the one who was demon possessed. I wonder how many churches today we got people who would actually confront demon possessed people. <laughs> Let's be real, y'all. 
how many people in church today would actually go and confront a demon-possessed individual? I know pastors that run from that stuff. Instead of confronting it and casting out that demonic devil, that principality and power that's trying to rule their life, that demonic possession, they run from it. Listen, he would go home with the sinner Zacchaeus and Jesus and his ministry was always to the poor. He always went to the one that was out of place. He always went to the less than. He always went to the downtrodden. Jesus was like, come on, you know, we're going to go through Samaria. Why? Because you Jews... You think the Samaritans are dogs, but I have the first female Samaritan woman evangelist waiting for me at the well. Come on, somebody. And I've got to leave you, and I've got to go find her. He went, so he went to the poor. He went to the minority. He went to what they called the dogs, the people they called the dogs. He went to those outside of conformity. He went to the one who was deemed less than. He went to the person that everybody talked about. He looked at the one that everybody devalued and thought was a nobody, and he said, I am anointed for the people you've overlooked. We must be a people. We've got to be the church that cares to model truth and God-given freedoms in the middle of such division and chaos. We cannot allow Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, people in Washington, D.C., to define to this culture what its values, morals, and integrity are. I was telling someone the other day when, we, when I was driving through D.C. Uh, on my way here to Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, I was coming through D.C. at night. What a beautiful, beautiful area that entire city is, that entire space of, 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 the, of the District of Columbia is. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, you've got the Washington Monument lit up. We drove right past the Jefferson Memorial. You could see the, the Capitol and you could see the, the, the buildings surrounding it and all the other governmental buildings. And, you know, you, you drive on down the road and you pass the, the Pentagon and just, just beautiful, beautiful buildings. And then you think about the evil that's contained within those buildings. You think about the secrets, the lies, the schemes, the way in which deception is rooted inside the walls and halls of those buildings. And it's sad that we live in a nation that's built now on deception, manipulation, coercion, and evil. It's amazing that we live in a nation where politicians can be bought by the likes of George Soros, by the likes of those uh, in past years who've influenced politicians like the Rockefellers. It's amazing to think about our history in America, where we've come from and where we are today. And that is why we must be a church that evolves into the kingdom and is not concerned with building its own empire, but concerned about the people of God and taking this moment in history as an opportunity for testimony. Let the people of God bring proof that division can be healed. Now, this is an interesting statement that Jesus makes in in, in verse 19 of Luke 21, because he says, uh, by your endurance, you will gain lives. I, I thought about this and then I read it again. By your endurance, you will gain lives. Jesus has given the signs. He's given the warnings. He's talked about earthquakes and pestilence. He's talked about race against race, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, children against parents, fathers against mothers, husbands against wives. And then he says this, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus is giving the signs of the times. And then he throws a curveball and says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. And this is a powerful statement. And it is the climax of this entire narrative that 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 we're looking at in Luke, how do we know? Because there's going to be a great division among the people. You are my answer, and it will be for the testimony of those in my church. All right, let me get this straight. Now, by my endurance, I will gain my life. By your endurance, you will gain your life. When you got saved, God possessed your spirit. The next part of your person, you're, you know, we're a trilogy, kind of you know, like God. You're a three-dimensional, your spirit, soul, and body. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. You being made in His image are spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit was born again the moment you met Jesus. But you can, you can leave a born-again experience with your heart changed and your mind untouched. The soul is not just the mind, but it incorporates the mind. There's another translation that says, By patience you possess your soul. He is saying, take what has happened in your spirit and possess your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let your thinking and your emotions, your desires and your passions, all that's in your soulless realm. Jesus says, when you see all of this rampant division, 
possess your soul. In other words, you dominate your feelings, desires, and passions. Don't let them dominate you. This is exactly what's happening in the culture right now. Everything is built on feelings. Everything is built on feelings. I was walking past someone in the mall the other day, and I, it, it was a girl and a guy talking with each other, and, and she was very animated as she was walking towards us. They were really working through uh, this conversation, whatever they were talking about. And when she got right up on us, I heard her say, and I don't even know how to feel about it anymore. I don't know what to do. And it's amazing how we determine what we do on how we feel. When God tells us very specifically that we cannot allow allow our life to be dominated by by our feelings and our emotions, he's saying you can't become a part of it and fix it at the same time. If we allow our emotions and our feelings to determine our future, how are we ever going to show up? How are we ever going to arrive? When you take a stand for something, there will be a line, and I, and I hope you've understood this over the past two years, but there will be a line you cannot cross despite whatever consequences are going to come your way. He, hear me well. I've been in multicultural crossover ministry all of my life. That's all I know. I've grown up in church. I've, been, I've spent probably the, you know, the majority of my adult life in, in, in a very diverse ministry setting. I've never been in a church of all anything. Culturally and generationally speaking, it's not all white, it's not all black, it's not all Hispanic. I've been someone who's always embraced this kind of ministry, and now at my age, God has dropped me in one of the, uh, you know, one of the newest racially diverse locations in the nation in Vermont. People are coming from all over the world to to Vermont and, and to our county and to our region. I've been in churches where I'm the only Caucasian in the building, and guess what? I am perfectly comfortable with that. I'm perfectly comfortable there. You know, it's amazing how, how when you understand what kingdom means and what kingdom is, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're surrounded with. You're surrounded with kingdom people. And Jesus is telling us here, there's got to be a people that don't get caught up in the fury. There's got to be kingdom-minded people that don't get caught up in the emotion of everything that we see happening in the culture right now, but they can stand and look at it clearly and look at it objectively, they can put you know, their, their, their preconceived notions away, even what they've been taught throughout their lives or what they're being told in the media, and look through a lens of other people. If you're getting all of your news from the media, I encourage you to do your own research, to do your own investigating, and make some decisions cognitively outside of MSNBC, CBS, CNN, NBC, ABC, Fox News, Newsmax. I mean, get outside of those those news stations. you got to understand, there's a lot of editing, there's a lot of, you know, they can present all kinds of things in certain ways to make any story distorted. So we're not even really sure what we read in print is really true. Everything can be distorted. That's why... You cannot put all of your faith, hope, and trust in media and government. You're being told to do this, or you cannot possibly care for humanity. That's not what what is being asked of by this government and in this culture. The division is created intentionally by government to divide people in this current culture. And listen, I don't believe that as a pastor I'm being asked to fix everything, but I do believe I'm being asked to care and stand for truth, for freedom, and for righteousness. And I do believe I'm being asked to notice and take a stand for those who, who, who have been and are continuing to be targeted out of compulsion by not doing what the government deems virtuous. I mean, you've got Pete Buttigieg, uh, however you say his last name, doing an interview this past week or, or, or speaking and sharing this past week saying, essentially, if people had gas-powered, I mean, uh, battery-powered cars, they wouldn't have to worry about the gas prices. What an arrogant, pompous statement to make. Because, you know, everybody can just go out tomorrow and, and, and sell their car and turn around and buy a $50,000 electric vehicle. Right, Pete? Right, Mayor Pete? We can just turn around and just, you know, buy that $50,000, $60,000 electric vehicle and, and drive our 200 miles before we got to recharge it for an hour. Doesn't that sound like fun? Well, that's exactly what they want. And now you see claims and statements coming out uh, being made towards um, Elon Musk to turn off the ability over in Russia for the, uh, the, the Teslas to be driven. So, folks, hear, hear, what that, hear what that statement is. They're asking him to turn off their ability to drive their electric vehicles. 
And yet our government's telling us you need to go out and buy electric vehicles. Do you hear and see where this is going? You talk about control. The moment they shut power grids off and you can't recharge your car, your battery, the moment they can send an EMP and shut everything down, the moment they can tap into your car's network and shut it down and you can't drive it because you posted something that was offensive on Facebook or Instagram, you think that's too far-fetched? Absolutely not. I'm at the point now in my life where if the government tells you to do it, I go the opposite way. I do exactly opposite of what they say to do. I don't trust them. You know, I, I, there's, there's members of Congress I don't trust right now. There are people in, in all kinds of areas in life right now in, that are in government positions that I just do not trust. But I do believe that I'm being asked of God to be intentional, and I believe you're being asked of God to be intentional, and that, that um, I will do, and I ask you to do it with me, what God has called us to do. Jesus said to possess your soul, take dominion, and take charge of your soulish man, your thoughts, because you're going to see some stuff that's going to upset you and offend you. You're going to hear some stuff that's going to offend you. And before you know it, your feelings have made you a part of the problem instead of a part of the cure. This is why we calmly but assertively resist the attempt of government to overthrow your own personal convictions. Do not let them draw your line. You draw your line based on your convictions, based on your integrity, based on your character. And he's saying here for the church, regardless of your cultural distinctives, if you're a part of the church, you are a part of a greater culture, a kingdom culture than the one that you were born from by your fleshly parents. He says, I've called you into a kingdom culture and kingdom culture will manifest to every other culture what it looks like for people to dwell together in unity. And Psalms 133, if you know this, this, that scripture, it says that when, when this has been captured and brethren dwell together in unity, there I will command my blessing. Ephesians 4.11 says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And we'll say that again, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Let that stick out to you. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children. That means acting like children, fighting like children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's like the scripture was looking into 2021, 2020, and right now in 2022 and beginning to, to decree and, and, and declare what's happening right now. Verse 15 of Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Jesus, Jesus is saying that when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. When one part suffers, we all suffer. This kingdom model is that when one part is suffering, it should get attention. When the racial tensions around the nation were high and things were happening, you know, when, we, when, when, when that was happening in, in our region, in Vermont, I didn't see any other churches trying to bring black people and white people together and bringing police together. It was my responsibility to model how I thought it should look how I thought all of this should come together and look. And listen, I got emails, I got phone calls from people um, blasting me and, and calling me racist, racist and calling me, um, you know, uh, all kinds of other names that I can't repeat on this, this podcast. But, you know, people were really labeling me and blowing me up in, in, the, in, uh, in the social media uh, spectrums because I was trying to bring black and white together along with the police. But after we had that reconciliation service, with whites and blacks from our culture. And we came together and we prayed and we shared and we read the scripture and we really opened up hearts to one another. I had our local police department not too long after that. We were doing some work in the parking lot and one of the, one of the officers, I saw him drive in and I kind of waved to him as he was you know, coming down the long driveway into the, the church parking lot and I kind of waved. I was way on the other side of the parking lot and he, he stopped where he was and kind of flagged me to come over. So I, I, I put my stuff down put down what I was doing. And I walked over way over to where he was and he rolled down his window and he said, Hey man, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing good. What's going on? You know, uh, how, how are things, uh, you know, in your neck of the woods and just shooting the breeze with him for a little bit. 
And then he looked at me, he said, man, would you mind praying for me? He said, we've never come under such attack like we are right now. I said, what do you mean? What's going on? And he said, you know, even when we pull up to stop signs, people are rolling down their windows and calling us pigs and giving us the middle finger, saying all kinds of, of, of things um, about us and towards us. And they were like, you know, we take that home to our families and we got to look our kids in the face and that stuff's running through our minds. And, you know, how can we continue to do our job well and, 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 and serve and protect these communities while we're, we're facing all of this evil right here in our face while we're sitting at an intersection? And it's amazing that we got to that point in culture, but it was a healing aspect of, of, of law enforcement reality when I was able to bring black, white, and police together and we pray and talk and share. Understand relating to this season, my body is built by God that if I have a wound, understand the white blood cells will immediately rush to that area. Why does the church not immediately rush to areas that are, that are wounded? There are healing elements of my body that are predisposed by God not to stay in the area of my body, which is functioning fine, but to move quickly to the area that's been wounded and bring healing to it. So we are to do the same in the season that we're in right now of intentional government division. John 4, 4 says he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Schuyler near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied from his journey was thus sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? Understand, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. The tension right out of the gate and the division put into the interaction racially here is absolutely nothing new. You and I have seen it over the past several years. We've been seeing it in America. It's been happening around the world. It's plagued our nation for far too long. And when a sickness has permeated several hundred years and is still here, listen, there is no jab, there's no virus or, or a run to Walgreens that, that's going to cure it. There is some kind of surgery that needs to be done. And, and, and we got to have a surgery done in, in, in the spiritual areas of our heart because Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift, in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where then do you think you're going to get that living water? Or where then do you get this living water? See, you, you can hear the resentment in her voice. You can hear the tension in the conversation. You can feel it as you read this scripture. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well, who drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've answered correctly. And now let's stop here for a second. Imagine this interaction with this woman you're not even supposed to be talking to. You're not even supposed to be engaging her in conversation. They're supposed to hate each other. And now he's about to go deep. He's about to go long. You ready here? The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've answered correctly. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I don't know who you are, but I kind of think you know a little something behind the scenes that you're not telling me. And now, come on, the encounter of this conversation has shifted. You talk about counterculture. Jesus, in a matter of seconds, could shift the culture. John 4.20 says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people, you people is just a divisive way of, of segregating people. You people, you're not one of us. You people say that in Jerusalem, it's the place where men ought to worship. Now, verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, 
An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, now now just imagine this statement right here. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples showed up and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? John 4, 35 says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. At this point, Jesus has gained in popularity, and now he says, I've got to go to Samaria, but the Jews didn't go there. Now, understand, it was in direct route in traveling, but Jews normally went around it. They didn't, they didn't want to mess with it. They wanted to avoid all of the, the, the different countercultural ideologies that were in play. And Jesus is saying, nah, I, I got to go to the place that you won't go. I, I'll just let that sit with you for a second. I'm, I'm, just think about that right now where you are. Jesus pretty much said to them, I've got to go to the place that you won't go. Do you know how many people told me not to talk about politics in church? Do you know how many people have told me to stay out of the, the racial conversation that that doesn't belong in church? Are you kidding me? That is a kingdom conversation. Those people who don't want you to talk about race and those people who don't want you to talk about politics in your circle, wherever that is, that means that they're uncomfortable. That means they don't really know how to articulate what it is that they are experiencing or feeling or sensing or knowing uh, in, in, their, in their soul so, and in their spirit. So they, they don't want to talk about it at all. They don't think it, it belongs in any type of Christian context. I personally believe there is absolutely nothing from the pulpit of our churches, at least here in America, that we should not talk about. If it's happening in life, it should be talked about from the pulpit. Why? Because there's an answer in the word of God. You've got other places like China where, you know, you, you've got you've to turn in your messages before you preach them because they got to make sure that you're not talking poorly about government or you're not saying anything that goes against government ideologies. But he's saying here in this scripture, I, I've got go, to go have the conversation in the place where you won't say anything because you've adapted to the government and cultural appropriations that have been handed down through the generations. That's pretty much what Jesus was, what was, was doing here. What is significant about this woman, Samaria, this well, this entire area? Why is it like this? Let me give you some historical context. In, in 722 BC, because of the judgment of God on Israel, Assyria had invaded Israel. And many of the Assyrians, after Israel was invaded and overthrown, they stayed in Israel and they intermarried the Assyrians with the Israelites. These people evolved and were now known in this time as Samaritans. The Jews did not like them because the Jews felt like they had sold out to another group and race of people and the invaders uh, of, of their homeland. So the Samaritans resented the fact that the Jews looked down on them. The Jews felt superior to them. And we can look back and see today the tensions of people against people back then, just like it is today. So you had these people called Samaritans who are really only mentioned a few times in the Bible. And Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of what we call the good Samaritan. He talked about the Jew that walked by, the Levite that walked right by, all of those that passed over the man who was beaten by the side of the road and left for dead. But a Samaritan stopped. And we call him the Good Samaritan. You know the story. So if there's a Good Samaritan, folks, that means that there are also some bad ones too. So here again, this was a Samaritan who happened to be good, but they thought most of them to be bad. So when they talked about a Samaritan, they thought, oh, we found a good one. Here again, division between one and another. There was one place where the Samaritans were even called dogs. 
And listen, that was culturally accepted back then. We see consistently all throughout the Bible that Jesus was always having to build a bridge between the Jews and everybody that the Jews did not want to associate with. So Jesus sets up this encounter in John, John chapter 4 right out of the gate to build a bridge between two people groups that did not like each other and resented each other. Now, Jesus' strategy, right? Number one, Jesus went to her. Jesus showed up to her. Jesus made sure that the rest of them were out of sight and went into town to buy food. He, he, he wanted them out of the way. He had, he had 12 people, 12 super Jews, we'll call them, <laughs> 12 super Jews. Um, you know, Jesus must have known that this encounter could not have taken place and could not succeed in their presence. There are just some things that God wants you to do in your life, and you've got the wrong group of people in a certain season. You've got to go and do this thing on your own with the vision, the calling, and the plan and purpose that God's given you. There had to be someone that was going to, something that, that had to be done by someone, a finished work, that by the time they got back, it had already been completed. Because it could not it, could, it, it couldn't progress in their presence since there were so many prejudices between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus would have had little successes if they would have stayed. This is why pastors must be talking about the political spectrum in America. Because if we wait for Congress, if we wait for, for the, the State of the Union speech to come and hear a president talk about how great the state of our union is when it's in absolute chaos, that just, complete, that just shows you you cannot believe anything that comes out of their mouth. You cannot trust a word they say, and they are always going to create a narrative that falls in agreement with their own ideology. So in their own perspective, America is doing just fine. With government leaders around the world, they believe the world is doing just fine. But if you look at this, they go into town to get food. And as you research this, it was about a five-mile journey by foot. Five miles there, five miles back. So they're on a 10-mile journey to get food. Jesus is giving himself a good span of time for this encounter where he can build a bridge between people who do not like each other. Anybody who thinks that the gospel stays in church and does not get outside the building and build a bridge to its brother, you've not read the Bible in that reading. You've not read the Bible that I'm reading. I mean, come on, folks, let's be real. The gospel cannot stay inside the four walls of the church. And not only that, but Jesus specifically gave his ministry and his time and his effort to the disenfranchised. In America, we think disenfranchised means poor financially. You can be a billionaire in America. And if you're not walking with Jesus, you're disenfranchised. You can be listening to this podcast right now and you've got a six-figure salary. You're doing all right seven-figure salary, you're doing okay, but you're not walking with God, you're disenfranchised right now. Jesus came for you. He died on that cross for you. He wants you to repent of your sins and walk with him and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. He's coming. He's coming, but he's coming back for his church. Not only that, but he says, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, he says, I leave the 99 and I go after the one. Jesus would leave the crowd of people who were shouting him down because they didn't like him while he was preaching and go across the sea and go to the demon-possessed man. He was willing to leave the crowd. I will say it again. He was willing to leave the crowd. There's many people in this nation who need to understand that it's not about popularity. It's not about approval ratings. It's not about how many followers or friends you have. It's not about how many likes you get on whatever post you put out there on social media. Sometimes you got to leave the crowd to step into your purpose. There's no way you can read this book and tell me that Jesus didn't on purpose and intentionally move towards those who were disenfranchised and move towards the persecuted in this society. If I could get into the walls and halls of Congress on a regular basis, I would do it just to, just to reflect a heart of love and compassion and faith and character and morality and value and integrity. We need that in Congress. We need that in our nation. We need that in our local governments. If God's been pulling on your heart to run for a seat, even if it's down to, to the, the, the levels of, of, of uh, maybe the school where your children go, and maybe God's calling you to run for school board. Maybe he's calling you to run for city council. Maybe he's calling you to run for other local elected offices in your, in your area. What are you waiting for? 
it may not be the popular thing to do. But if, it, if it's what God is calling you to do, step out in faith. You can't preach a true gospel and leave the fact that Jesus wanted to go around and show equity to everybody, to place value on everybody, and that there was no hierarchy to Jesus. Jesus immediately got out of his Jewishness to go reach a woman who the Jews looked down on even though he was a Jew himself. Remember, he came to her. So let me, let me ask you, what side of town do you ignore? What area of culture do you ignore? What group of people do you stay away from? What voices are leading your life? Who are you never willing to enter a conversation with? You ever sat down to find out what someone else's life is like besides your own? We were in the, uh, like I said, uh, at the beginning of this podcast, we were at Tyson's Corner um, Mall um, uh, just, just earlier this week, and a um, homeless man came up to us in the, in the, in the food area. And God always sends them our way. We have such a pliable, um, loving heart towards the homeless. We served the homeless in Orlando for six and a half years, and it was one of the greatest delights of our life when we were there. And this, this gentleman comes up and he says, you know, would you be able to help me, you know, get some lunch today? And I said, sir, I'd be more than happy to give you some lunch, and I, I'd be honored to do that. I said, what do you want? And he wanted some five guys, and I said, come on. I'm going to go over there and get myself, get, get myself a burger too. So we were standing in line. And I began to talk with him and he began to share of his experience with living with his family up in DC and how things have ta- had taken a turn and how a lot of his family is much like him, homeless and without and doesn't have many things to, um, um, to claim as his own. And so I paid for his burger, gave him the rest of the, of, of the, uh, the money. And, um, you know, so listen, Hey, take this money, use it for yourself, go bless somebody else, do something, you know, to, to make your day better. And he thanked me so much for it. And I'll never see that guy again in my life. Never. As my wife and I were talking about that encounter, because we missed those encounters that we would have on a regular basis down in Orlando. As we were talking about that encounter, I looked at my wife and I said, what if he had walked up to somebody who rejected him and said, no, I'm not going to help you eat something today. I'm not going to buy you anything today. What if that was the last straw that pushed him over emotionally? And psychologically just damaged him to the point where he didn't want to live life anymore. He could have gone out and done something detrimental to his life. Why? Because of the rejection. See, God does not allow things to happen to your life and to my life by coincidence. Everything God does is intentional. Everything God does is strategic. Everything God does is with reason and purpose. Do you ever listen or do you always do the talking? When I stood there in line with that gentleman, I began inquiring of his life to learn about him. I wanted him to know he was valuable to me in that moment. He meant something to me in that moment. I wanted to hear his history. I wanted to know a little bit about his life, how he got to where he was, what he was going through. And a hamburger, some French fries, and a soda showed him how much I cared in that short moment. Have you ever thought about the fact somebody does not see the world like you see it? That you've been framed by your experiences and what is plastered in your face every single day in the media. But everybody has got to come to the well because I don't care if you are rich or poor, if you are up or down. I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, love government or hate government, whatever side of town you're on, educated or not, no matter the color of your skin, everybody has something. Everybody has to come to the well because everybody is thirsty for something. So not only did Jesus get out of his comfort zone and remove himself from the crowd who would not want to see this encounter with this woman take place, but then he found common ground, a well. One thing that the Jews and the Samaritans shared is that the Jews loved Jacob just like the Samaritans did. Jacob had dug that well and left it to his son, Joseph, and that was the well that they all had to come to, to draw water from. So notice, this wasn't an accident that Jesus met them at the place of common ground. In other words, he was like, I'm not going to come debate our differences. I'm going to come find common ground. What we do, or what, or rather, he was like, what do we both need? He was essentially saying, I'm thirsty, you're thirsty. I love Jacob, you love Jacob. We both have access to this well, and we both need a drink. 
When are we going to come together out of our commonalities instead of always being divided and used as pawns in the hands of a godless culture run by government uh, government officials who could care less about your integrity, your character, your success, and the call and plan that God's put within you to come to fruition? They don't care about that. All they care about is their power, their 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 greed. Their ideologies, I'm not saying they're all like that, but many of the ones that have the microphones and the attention of the media do. You've got other people that never rarely get any airtime at all. You never get to hear from them. And I believe that there are many who have the right intention and they have the right heart in Congress and they have the right intention for this nation and for your life. Find where we did the right thing, not where we've made a mistake. But in this nation, we've been taught we're always waiting on someone to mess up. We're always waiting for someone to offend us. I want to tell you it's time to come to Jacob's well because we all need something from the well. We are all thirsty. Maybe you're thirsty from loneliness. Maybe you're thirsty because you've been sick. Maybe you're thirsty because you went through a relationship problem, but everybody needs to come to the well for some reason. Folks, I believe it's time to find our common ground because there are more places where we are alike than we are divided. Believe it or not, it's just a matter of focus. I can focus on the thing that, that destroys a bridge or I can focus on the thing that builds it. The choice is up to me. The choice is up to you. And I'm asking, if we can be like Jesus and come to the well and drink out of common ground, we cannot allow our communities to divide us. We cannot allow our government to divide us. You cannot allow your governor and your local city officials to divide you. We cannot allow our city councils and select boards to divide us. We cannot allow Congress and the president to divide us. You are right in your own convictions based on the word of God that is living on the inside of you. And it is that conviction that is what is supposed to guide and lead us. You do not have to be under compulsion by people who do not share your values, but pray and believe that God will get a hold of their life. You and I are in the midst of a, of a, of a countercultural mess right now, but you and I are God's answer in the earth. It's time for you to take a stand. It's time for us to build a bridge into a in, into the greatest move of God that I believe he's setting us up for. The time is now. Let's take a step of faith and walk on faith together today. Listen, you and I were built for this moment in history. Go change somebody's life. Impact somebody's life. Go change the world and leave your mark, leave your imprint, leave a legacy for generations to come. Listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. You're listening to the Shatterproof Podcast. You can download our app at Ignite Church VT on your app store in your Google Play Store. You can connect with us online at IgniteChurchVT.com. You can even sow into this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. I love you. I'll talk to you soon on another episode of Shatterproof.
Connect with me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. You can download our church app, Ignite Church VT. You can connect with us online at IgniteChurchVT.com. Share this podcast, share this episode. Listen, we're on the verge of the greatest move of God. Let's be a part of this thing together and see a dynamic shift happen all over the nation and throughout the world. I'll see you next time on another episode of Shatterproof.